I was at a conference one time, and uh, we had uh, robust worship like that. It was, you know, very inspiring and things. And the speaker got up, and he said, you know, he said, that was so great. We could pray right now and be dismissed. Of course, everyone that had sat through the day of conference and all that thought, well, that's not a bad idea. He went on to preach for an hour and a half. So I'm hoping that what happens as a result of this worship, I hope that I can contribute to what God is doing in our hearts right now and not be a hindrance to it. Paul Gilbert wrote these words. He said, you are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by deeds that you do and words that you say. Men read what you say or what you write, whether faultless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? Well, the gospel is literally and truly the good news. That's what that word gospel seems to indicate. The good news is that Jesus Christ was born, Jesus Christ lived, and Jesus Christ died and rose again victorious over sin and death. That's the gospel. Are we living that good news every day? Are we writing a chapter every day about that gospel? The series is entitled Reach. And the idea is to change the way we think about our world and our role in it. Basically, what what the hope is, is that we are influencers. So as we are influencing, how are we doing Are we influencing the world? You see, we need to remember that when we encounter the gospel, it transforms us into those influencers. Now, granted, there are people that have never experienced the gospel message and have never embraced Christ, and they are influencers. But the influencer of a gospel follower, a gospel believer, should be more profound Those of us that have trusted Christ, those of us that have believed that gospel message should be great influencers. So this morning, what I would like for us to do is look in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, and discover that we are influencers called salt, called salt. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Uh, One of our roles in society is influence. And Jesus says you influence as salt. So this morning what I would like for us to do is look at three truths that make us a salty influence. Salty influence. Now be careful, right? Some of us can be pretty salty, but that's not what he means. So I'm hopeful that you get the analogy and you get the picture, because in that day and age, when Jesus used the word salt, everybody understood what he was talking about. Everybody got it, because they understood salt and its importance and its influence. So I'm hopeful we can do the same this morning. The first truth is found at the beginning of the verse. The first truth is that salt is a position. A position. Notice what he says. He says, you are the salt. You alone, no one else. You are the salt. And now if you remember, Matthew chapter 5 verse 13 comes after an entire session 
between Jesus and his disciples where Jesus is explaining to his disciples about kingdom living, how the kingdom is going to work. And so they are hopefully understanding the message that because you are a part of a kingdom, your position is salt. You are salt. You are the only salt in the earth. You are the one that will influence as a result of your saltiness. Now, before you begin to feel isolated and alone and think, you, that seems like I kind of am alone here, he writes that in the plural. It's almost like he would be like a southern preacher. You all are the salt of the earth. All of us together. It is a collective kind of a thing. Uh, You don't say pass the salt and then get the salt and unscrew the top and reach in and pull out one granule, do you? No, salt works together in a group. And so when he's talking about salt, we're all in this together. It's a collective. You are salt. You need to understand your position. You are salt. He's not saying you should be salt. He's not saying you are becoming salt. He is saying you are salt. That's your position. You are in the place of salt. The only real question is, are you salt? Have you come to the place where you have encountered that gospel news? That gospel news that says that Jesus Christ died for me, and I believe in that. I trust in that. Uh, This morning, are you a faith follower? Are you walking according to the grace that God has bestowed upon us through His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross? If you have encountered Christ, the gospel Christ, then you are salt. And you need to understand to play that position in your life. When I was in uh, fifth grade, I played soccer. And I played soccer with a a, a kid. His name was David Sponseller. And uh, back in the old days, they used to call him forwards, halfbacks, fullbacks, and goalie. You know, now they call him midfielders and defenders and strikers and things like that. I was right halfback. And, you know, that's the right side of the field, and that's where I played. Well, as the game would progress, oftentimes David Sponseller, who was the left halfback, would be in my way. And the coach would be on the sideline yelling, David, play your position. David, play your position. And he didn't get that message until later. He ended up playing college soccer. So eventually he learned to play his position. This morning we need to understand that our position is as salt. And salt is an influencer. So this morning, embrace this influence as salt. So truth number one Salt is a position. Truth number two, salt is priceless. Salt is priceless. In Matthew 5.13, he says, You are the salt of the earth. As they heard Jesus say that, they would have several things that would come into their mind. And one of them was money. Because salt used to be used as money. Have you ever heard the expression, not worth his salt? That comes from the times when Roman soldiers were paid with salt. And if they didn't do their job properly, they didn't get all of their salt. And so they weren't worth their salt. And so there is a pricelessness, a value that we are and have as a result of being salt. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying that we are salt. Now, it's hard for us to imagine salt as money because wherever we go, there's salt around, right? But try to imagine and take salt out of your diet. Some of you are saying, you know, I'm already doing that. I'm on a low-sodium diet because of high blood pressure or some other reason. And it's miserable, right? I mean, I I can't imagine. I'm not an egg person. 
but I cannot imagine eating eggs without salt. Can you? I mean, that's even reflected in the book of Job. Job says the same thing. He says, how can you eat an egg without salt? So imagine in our situation, no salt, there is a pricelessness, about, there is a value. And, and the reason that we are priceless is not because of us, but because of what we were purchased by. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter 1, verse 18. It says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The reason why we are priceless as salt is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We were purchased by that that precious, priceless blood. And so as a result, we have value. We have value. Now, if you think about salt as well, salt is white. I know now there is some pink salt or foo-foo salt, right? I mean... But most of the time when I say salt, what image comes to your mind? White comes to your mind. And so part of our pricelessness or our value is our purity. You see, if you are going to put salt on something, it's going to be pure in order for it to make the effect, right? If I spill salt on the floor and I sweep it up and I put it back into the salt shaker, you're repulsed by that. You're like, what what, what, what have you done? And so it must be pure. Now, please... We are not perfect, but we can be pure because of what Jesus Christ has done in forgiving our sins and washing us away. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus even says this. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. What more does a decaying society need than purity? Than purity. My son is a, a, a cook. Um, he, he doesn't like to be called a chef. He's a cook because that's what he's doing. He's not chefing. In fact, when he's told to be more serious, he'll go, yes, chef, yes, chef, and things like that. But when he and his wife are together in the world in which he circulates, they have a relationship that is unique to what he experiences in many of the places where he has worked. And he is an example to many of them Not because he's perfect, but because their marriage relationship is what it is. You see, we have a decaying world around us. And so we can be salt by demonstrating purity, by the wholesomeness and by the trueness of relationship. How we honor our families, our children, and our spouses, how we present that. There is a purity in that 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 is priceless to this world and acts as salt in the world. So this morning, we need to understand that we are salty influences. We have the position as salt. We have the pricelessness of salt. And the third truth is salt is purposeful. Purposeful. When they heard Jesus say, you are salt, there were several reactions, I'm sure, in the crowd. Because in that time, salt had different purposes. We already touched on the money part. But one of the purposes of salt was a preservative. A preservative. The purpose was to take the salt and rub it into the meat and allow it to be preserved because of the salt. 
You know, on a, on a long journey across the sea, they would, they would fill barrels with salt and bury the meat into the barrels and it would preserve the salt, uh, preserve the meat. And that's what we are. We're the preservatives in this world. Think about Jesus. Jesus and his disciples. Jesus was the preservative. Remember, he was preserving the integrity of the disciples. And when he was taken out, what happened to the disciples? They scattered. They blew all over the place, right? It wasn't until they came into an understanding of the resurrected Christ that they were able to come back together and be preserved. There are, There is the need today for Christian people to act as salt, preserving this world. Preserving what's going on. Uh, one of the great preservatives in my life is my mother. Uh, I don't know how many times I thought, literally in my mind, what would my mother do to me if she found out? Right? Because of her testimony, and because of her life, she preserved me from doing things that I shouldn't have done on many occasions. Uh, are you understanding that as salt, you are a preservative, a preservative? That's what some of the folks in this audience would have thought. Another thing they would have thought when they heard the word salt, they would think the purpose of salt is to create thirst, is to create thirst. We have animals that aren't eating, and so we put a little salt, and they aren't drinking, so we put a little salt, and that creates a thirst. You've heard of a salt lick. You've seen a salt lick used for deer hunters and things like that. It's to create a thirst so they come to where the water is. Imagine this morning a world that needs their thirst to be quenched. But are we creating a thirst for them? Are we creating in such a way in which they want to drink from the water of life that is Jesus Christ in our life? We are living in a world of chaos. The Vegas shootings college students in Paris having acid thrown into their faces, the hurricanes that are sweeping across our nation and wreaking havoc in places like Puerto Rico, the chaos that is there. Do you have hope? And as a result of your hope, does that create a thirst in others to want to drink from the hope that you have? I love what the hymn writer writes. He says this. He says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Or do you deliver this message? Oh, hope, you know, we just need to get the right person in Congress. <laughs> we just need to get the president to stop tweeting. <laughs> That's my hope. Or do you come to what the, the, this hymn writer writes? When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. This morning, are we creating a thirst in others because we have the hope in Christ. Are we creating a, a, a place of, of resource? Because we're creating a thirst for the hope that we have. I am hopeful this morning because of what Jesus has done. I hope that I am able to transmit that message to others. 
on Christ, the solid rock. Please understand something. Oftentimes when we, we, we talk as those that share, sometimes you, you think, well, I just don't have that kind of personality. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to assure you that this is not about personality. For you to be salt and to be a purposeful, salty Christian, it's not about your personality. Uh, Thanksgiving, think of Thanksgiving. When Thanksgiving happens, people walk in, and who is the star of the show? The turkey, right? I mean, people walk in and, and they say, what a beautiful turkey. It is golden brown. It is juicy. It is just marvelous. And then they will say, wow, nice mashed potatoes, no lumps, right? They'll say, the stuffing, the green beans. Wow, you've just done a great job. Nobody walks in and says, whoo, back off, salt. You're overwhelming us. But all that is there on the table is a result of the salt, right? The deliciousness, the brine that created that juicy turkey, uh, the, the flavor in those mashed potatoes that's coming out is because of the salt, and it is completely unseen. So this is not about personality. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we are reminded that sometimes salt acts in a very purposeful, a very quiet way but a very influential way. In First Peter chapter 3, uh, Peter writes this. He says, Wives, in the same manner, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not be about uh, outward adornment such as braided hair and the weaving of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of a great worth in God's sight. For this is the way of the, uh, of the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. You see, beauty is sometimes completely unspoken. Influence comes because of our purity, because of our wholeness that comes through Christ. So don't make the mistake of saying, this isn't my personality. Because it's all of us. Because as followers of Christ, you are salt. Now, another purpose of salt that those that were sitting in the audience and hearing Jesus say, you are salt, they would think the purpose of salt was healing, was healing. Uh, you can write this down and look it up later. In the book of Ezekiel, it talks about uh, a baby that was born and they salt it and wrap it. Because oftentimes in childbirth, there could be some nicks or cuts that the baby would get. And so they would put some salt to heal those wounds and to keep them from getting infected. So think about that. Are you healing? Are you healing those around you? Are you healing them with your life? With your saltiness? Sometimes when we are placed in the position as salt, we cause more problems than good, don't we? And that's part of salt. If there is too much, it hurts. It stings. 
So we have to be very careful to keep our saltiness under the control of what God's Word and His Spirit teaches us to do. Now, salt is a healer. It has to be pure salt. And part of the way that we keep our lives pure is to constantly be in contact with God in prayer, confessing our sins and communicating with Him, what's next, Lord, what's next? Jesus Christ is reminding us that we are salt and we have purpose, and one of our purposes is to be healing. Now, too many times we want to be the honey, right? Too many times we want people to say of Christians they are loving, they are tolerant, they are wonderful, especially in today's day and age. But you know, sometimes part of healing is to go into the brokenness and sting them just a little bit with the truth of God's Word so that they change what they're doing to be healed from the transgressions and sins in which they're living in. It is not easy to confront someone and to say to them, what you're doing is wrong. Because we want to be loving and kind. But we make the mistake of thinking that loving and kindness cannot be challenging someone that's doing wrong. One of the greatest challenges in the last five years in teaching for me is that very thing. Everybody gets a ribbon is killing me. You know, nobody is a loser. Everybody's a winner. Here's your ribbon is killing me. Because what happens is I can't grade anybody. I can't assess anyone because they're devastated. (laughs) I find snowflakes every day (laughs) as I teach. And so I have to walk such a fine line and remind them that I care. And remind them that I truly do love them. I may not like them, but boy, I love them. And that message is something that needs to be delivered. And as a healer, as salt, as healing, we sometimes need to sting in order for the change to happen. And so we must work very carefully and diligently. Salt as an influencer. Uh, Healing. Now again, we we need to be uh, a warning here. Uh, one of the lessons that I teach in my class is we talk about the Punic Wars. And the Punic Wars were between Rome and Carthage. And the Carthaginians were a great force in the Mediterranean, and the Romans wanted to eliminate that threat. And so they fought them several times. And finally, the last time they fought them, they, they not only defeated them, but then they brought salt in by the boatloads and buried their crops and their lands with salt to devastate it so that the land would not come back, so Carthage would never come back. Uh, That was the idea. So salt needs to be handled in dosages, not huge, massive amounts. And we need to understand the destructive sense of salt. Oliver Wendell Holmes said this. He says, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had looked and acted so much like undertakers, right? Because sometimes that's what happens as Christians. We're so sad and we're so burdened. We're too salty. It's destructive. Instead, we want to understand what Paul says. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, the, uh, the, the thing that happens here that Paul, I'm, I'm sorry, that Jesus says is, you are the salt of the earth, but if that salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? 
it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Loses its saltiness. Uh, The idea here is uh, dull, sluggish, stupid, foolish. If you wanted a literal translation, it's the word moron. That's the word that's used there. So literally, Jesus is saying salt without savor is like a moron. That's what he's saying literally. And so that begs the question for us then, how do we keep from being morons, right? I mean, that's what he's asking, that's what he's saying. So how do I stay salty? How do I keep from falling into this position of being savorless? Well, there are a couple of things to please remind ourselves of. The one is, uh, in order to maintain our saltiness, we need to remember need. Don't you love the heroic stories that are coming out of Hurricane Hugo and those kinds of things? I, I, you know, the way they rescue elderly and young children, they rescue dogs. I'm still trying to figure out why they would waste resources on cats, but that's another thing. That's just, that's just me. That's another thing. One of my favorite was the Chick-fil-A story. The guy calls Chick-fil-A from his house and he says, I want a breakfast burrito with extra egg and a boat. That's what he said. And the manager of Chick-fil-A, one of the workers had a boat and they went and got him. Uh, great stories about rescue. But the thing about that was people just saw need. Somebody was drowning. Someone was in distress. Someone was in de- They did not see anything but need. And sometimes the reason we lose our saltiness is because we forget about need. And so we try to instead, we try to talk about the world. It's a wonderful place. It's getting better. It's not. It's not. We're evolving. We're not evolving. The world isn't getting better. They need us. The world needs salt. When Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, what is one presupposition? The world is decaying. The world is decaying. So Jesus, in his day, makes the statement about salt with the presupposition, the world is decaying. They need us. They need us to be salt. They need us to be those ones that will come into their lives and minister to them. The second way in which we maintain our saltiness is not just by remembering need, but also remembering influence. Remembering influence. In Genesis chapter 18 is the story about Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember the story? Abraham said to God, what if I get 50 righteous people? What if I get 30 righteous people? What if I get 10 righteous people? Will you save the the city then? And each time, yes, yes, yes. And finally they get down to it and there were no righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah and so God destroyed it. You see, we are influencers. Don't forget the influence that we have. If God takes his church out of this world, if God takes his followers out of this world, then he is going to rain wrath down upon it. We are influencers. We are making a difference. Ten righteous people would have changed Sodom and Gomorrah. Imagine what we are able to do and what we are keeping from happening as a result of our influence. Don't underestimate your influence. Uh, when we are influential, uh, we are making contact. Salt in a container, on a shelf, or on a table does no one any good, right? Right? It has to be emptied out onto the meal or onto what needs to be salted. It must make contact in order to be influential. And so it is important for us to maintain contact in this world because we are the influencers. The third way to maintain our saltiness is to remember that God is more important than we are. 
Because sometimes what happens, we become kind of inflated with our opinions of ourselves. God gets the glory, not us. God gets the praise, not us. If you want to get into something where you're going to be praised, the cause of Christ is not that place. If you have time this afternoon, if you would look at verses 11, 10, 11, and 12 before verse 13, they talk about the world is going to persecute you. The world is going to uh, dislike you. And even when the world dislikes you, I still want you to be salt. That's his message. And sometimes the saltiness and being salt, you get no credit at all. Uh, you go in and you, you eat your steak, right? You take a bite of your steak and you go, oh, that needs salt. You put salt on it and you eat another bite of steak. And what do you say? Man, that is delicious steak. Nobody says, oh, I think that was granulated salt or iodized salt or it came out of a, a, a pinch of salt, not a shaker of salt. Nobody talks about the salt. If you are going to be salt, you need to understand that God gets all the glory because He is the one that's doing the work. When we talk about God do something, guess how He does something? Through those that are following Him. And He gets the credit, all of the credit. Salt doesn't care who gets the credit. And when you remember that, you can maintain your level of saltiness. The 28th president of the United States was Woodrow Wilson. He served two terms from 1913 to 1921. He shared a story about before he became president, he shared a story of sitting in a barber shop. The story goes like this. He says, I was in a very common place. I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware that a personality had entered the room, a man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut. He sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered, though was not in the least didactic, showed a personal interest in the man who was cutting his hair and the men that were sitting around him. Before I got through with what was being done for me, I was aware that I had attended an evangelistic service, a worship service led by D.L. Moody, who was in the chair. Woodrow Wilson goes on to say, I purposely lingered in the room after he had left and noted the singular effect that his visit had brought upon the barbershop. They talked in undertones. They didn't know his name, but they knew that something had elevated their thoughts. I felt that I had left that place as I should have left the place of worship. My admiration and esteem for Mr. Moody became very deep. Influence. Just by showing up, changing the room. How is your salt this morning? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your grace. And thank you for the, the work of your Spirit who can take the words that we share and the Scriptures that are revealed and use them to make a difference in our lives. Father, we just ask today that we would assess ourselves and decide, are we salt? Have we come to the place of knowing Jesus Christ? And if we are salt, Lord, encourage us to reach out and influence those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you. Have a wonderful week.